Thanks for tuning in to Off the Wall. I'm your host, Joshua Wall, and joining me on today's show is Jamie Stevens from JSE. Jamie, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. So, first things first, who's Jamie? Oh, geez. Uh, I'm a local entrepreneur, event planner, uh, own a couple of businesses, businesses here in town. Um, 40, I, you know, I stopped counting. I think I'm 42. Might be turning 43 this year. I stopped at 40, man. I don't know. I don't even know how old I am anymore. Uh, I don't know. Uh, diehard Cincinnati Bengals fan. Big fan of football. Big fan of hockey. Like, that's all I got. I think almost everybody <laughs> in town knows who Jamie Stevens is. But uh, you weren't, for better or for worse. You weren't always an entrepreneur. Let's start young Jamie. You know, maybe you're from Brantford? I am. Born and raised. Okay. You grew up here. Where'd you go to school? Uh, elementary school. I went to Cedarland till grade three. Went to Prince Charles from four to eight and did high school at North Park Collegiate. Let's talk about North Park. Did you know what you wanted to do when you were in high school? Um, yeah, I knew I wanted to run my own business eventually. That was, um, I think in about grade 10 or 11, I decided that for sure. Um, connected with a teacher there who was really big in entrepreneurship and uh, yeah so I'd say I'd say I knew I'd say I knew before I went to college I knew I eventually wanted to own my own business what was your first job oh man first first real job like actually on a payroll um, I was a janitor I cleaned uh, I cleaned the TD banks um, with an Italian guy named Dominic, who's my first boss. I, I cleaned Brantford Chrysler and the TD Banks in Brantford and Paris after school, after school, which is why I couldn't play football because I, I had a job after school. So you were in high school. You were a janitor. Yes. Talk yes. about, I don't know when your first business was or your first step into being an entrepreneur, but are they, are they similar? Are they around the same time frame? No, nah, man, you know, back when I was a kid, I was, I was your typical, you know, lemonade stand looking for ways to hustle in the neighborhood, shoveling driveways, raking leaves, whatever we could do to cut grass, do all that kind of stuff. So it, it goes back a long ways for sure. So talk about that. Tell us. Oh, man, I don't know. Like, like every kid, but I, you know, a lot of kids. Not every kid. Out. Well, not every kid. That's true. There's a kid now we just hired to pick up our dog poop. I thought that was pretty cool. I, that's something I would have done back when I was a kid. You know, when you're when you're a kid and someone hands you, you know, 20, 25 bucks for a service, that's that's like that's a lot of money when you're when you're a kid. It's like buy a lot of hockey cards and bubble gum, you know. So, yeah, I don't know. I think I've always been pretty entrepreneurial for sure. I think so. So you're in high school. You're a janitor. Mm -hmm but you've got all these little side <laughs> hustles that you're bringing in money. Uh, you decide you're going to go to college. You mentioned you went to college. Why did you go to college I to, for? I went to two colleges. So um, I was, I was a computer guy. So I was that guy in high school that uh, um, was in like, you know, the Amiga 500 calling around to the BBSs, playing doom with my friends, all the multiplayer games, but I wasn't like the computer nerd. I wasn't your typical computer nerd. I was that guy that was sort of like, I've, I was friends with the jockey popular guys because I was into football and hockey and all the sports. And then I was in 
I was friends with all the kind of computer geek guys because I was like down in BBSs and playing multiplayer games and stuff after school. Um, so I went to school for computer network technology. Um, and back then I didn't like Brantford too much. I wanted to get away from here, you know? So I applied to the furthest colleges I could find and I got accepted into uh, Sioux College in Sault Ste. Marie. So I moved to Sault Ste. Marie and did two years of computer network technology. Um, and then there was a third year option for my program. So you can graduate as a technician and then you can stay for a third year and be a technologist. I opted to go to Fleming College in Peterborough and take a new entrepreneurship program that they just launched. Um, so I went to Peterborough for a year as well and graduated with honors from that program and actually won the uh, Bank of Montreal Business Award and they paid for my, my tuition, which was nice. Is there any stories of being an entrepreneur in college? Um, no, not really. I didn't, I, I had fun in college. Um, it, it was funny when I went up to Sault Ste. Marie, I, I kind of laughed because I didn't really do much work when I was in Sault Ste. Marie because I had the advantage of going there. And actually a lot of my friends that I made, I met up there were in the same boat as me. Like our first, our first week in res, we had a bunch of our guys in our program. We had, we had actually ran network cable through the residents without them knowing so we could do network gaming. So within about a month of us in the program, the program was a lot of people who uh, had just lost their jobs and the government was retraining them. So you had a lot of these like 40 to 50 year old people in the program learning computers for the first time right? Government's paying for them to go back to school and learn. Cause you got a lot of these guys that didn't grow up with computers. They worked in a, you know, worked at a factory job for 25 years and factory leaves town and they don't have the skill set. So within about the first month, we were pretty much helping the teacher teach the class. So I had actually written all my exams for the first year and the first three months of school. Um, so I'd already pretty much finished the program. And then we would just go in and help the teachers with the other students. We were kind of like teacher's assistants at that point. So we had a lot of time to have fun uh, in Sault Ste. Marie. So I, I, you know, I parted a little bit, had a good time. So it wasn't a lot of time for running a business in college. Yeah, but it still sounds like no matter where you were, no matter what you were doing, you were leading the charge. So follow along that trend. You finished school. You graduate, yeah. you're not yeah. in Brantford. What brings you back home? <clears throat> yeah, it's funny, every time, so I used to have to fly home uh, from Sault Ste. Marie. So I used to fly in these little twin propeller planes. I come home for Christmas, I come home, you know, uh, I'd come home every once in a while, different breaks. But every time I come back to Brantford, I would notice something different, you know, like they tore down this and built this or this just opened. And there was always like this, there was this growth that I kept seeing. And when I left, it wasn't like, I, I, I shouldn't say I hated Brantford. I didn't hate Brantford, but I was a kid like everyone else. Your hometown sucks. When you're a kid, everyone, it's, it's, it's not cool to love your hometown when you're a kid. And it's funny because when I went to Sault Ste. Marie, I met all these people in Sault Ste. Marie and they're like, oh man, this place sucks. I can't wait to get out of here. And I realized very quickly, it doesn't matter where you are. You just have to make the best of where you are because 
you may love a place, but the people who've grown up there, they think it's the worst place ever because they haven't experienced anywhere else. So I will say moving to Sault Ste. Marie and living there made me appreciate Brantford a lot more. Sault Ste. Marie was fun, but definitely not my, uh, not my cup of tea. Um, so yeah, I think just coming home, coming home, seeing all the different things. Um, and then I went to, I went to Fleming college in Peterborough and I really loved, I really loved Peterborough. Actually, Brantford could learn a lot from Peterborough, um, in terms of the arts and culture. Um, you know, they obviously have a nice waterfront there and they have a big park. They do community concerts and stuff like that. And I actually thought I was going to stay in Peterborough, but Peterborough, honestly, is a college and university. It's a student town. And when you're not a student, it's just not the same feeling. I loved Peterborough until I graduated. And then when you weren't a student anymore, it just didn't have the same appeal because it's just full of students. So I moved back home. Okay. What year <laughs> is it? And where do we go even, from here? So now you're home. Did you just go and start working? Take a job? Yeah, I took a couple of jobs. Um, so I, I had the pleasure of having two diplomas. So I had a computer network tech diploma and an entrepreneurship diploma. So no kidding. Yeah. So I went to get, I went, I remember like I applied for a bunch of jobs and no one would hire me. Like I actually, I, I wanted to work at, um, I think it was Kelsey's at the time. I wanted to go just be a server at Kelsey's until I kind of figured out what I wanted to do. And the, the guy who interviewed me says, I love to hire you. You're personable, you're outgoing, but let's be honest, you're not going to stay. You're not, you're not like, this is, you're here until you get your career. So he didn't hire me. Uh, so I, I sold some stereo equipment. I did some odd jobs. Um, then I applied for, um, I applied for what I think would have been my dream job at the time. Because I had the dual threat of computers and entrepreneurship, I actually applied to run an internet cafe on Carnival Cruise Lines. Wow. And I got hired and it paid $60,000 a year. Um, and like all my travel expenses were covered and I live on the boat. So you wouldn't have to really spend any money. So that's 60,000, 60,000. Um, I got hired, did the, um, did the orientation was so excited, was supposed to fly to Florida in about three weeks and do my first post. I was going to go out and do like a three month run, get my feet wet. And then after that, I can go on longer excursions. And then 9-11 uh, happened. So two days after 9-11, I get a phone call from the Carnival Cruise Line rep saying that they're freezing all hiring, all new hires, while they find out the impact that this event's going to have on the tourism industry. Because as you can imagine, when 9-11 happened, a lot of people were afraid to fly. A lot of people were afraid to travel. They weren't sure how it was all going to play, how it was all going to play out. So, you know, waiting around for Carnival Cruise Lines to call back and, you know, after about a month or two, the writing was on the wall that that job was probably not going to happen anymore. So I had to apply for some other positions. <clears throat> wow. Just wow. Uh, so I feel like we're going to get there. Yeah, yeah, yeah go yeah. ahead. So, so um, I applied for a whole bunch of jobs and I, I actually used my resume for the cruise lines. 
And the cruise lines, cruise line resumes, you have to actually have your picture on the top. Okay, when you Brilliant apply idea. for a cruise line, you have to have your picture on the top. So I just kept using that resume. <laughs> and um, I applied at a company called First Effort Investments here in town, owned by the Rizzo family. Uh, they own the joggers and campus crew stores. So I applied to be their, their uh, IT administrator. And it came with a company car and a whole bunch of perks. And I only had my, um, I didn't have, have my license yet, but I applied for the job and I went and got my G1. No, I had my G1. I had my G1, but I had my G2. So I go, I apply for the job and I actually got called for the interview. And uh, in the interview, he told me, uh, the reason I called you was because your picture's on top. And I got a thousand resumes here. And yours the yours, only one with a picture. Yours, yeah, yours stood out. I, I thought that was kind of cool. So I figured I'd, uh, I'd give you a shot. So that interview, that interview was fun because it was winter. Um, yeah, we had a huge snowstorm and I had the meeting um, I just got my, just got my G2. Literally, I rushed to get the test in case I got called for this job. Got my G2, driving my car, heading to the interview. And there's this little, there's a lady, little old lady, like 80 something years old on North Park Street. Just had a massive snowstorm and she's trying to shovel her driveway onto the, right? And it's just bad. So I pull over and I'm like, do you want a hand really quickly? Like I'm heading to my interview, but I can give you hands. She's oh, thank you so much. So I grab her shovel and shovel it. So she goes back in her house. So I get to the interview and I pull into the, I'm sitting in the waiting room and I'm, and I'm sitting there and I look down at my pants. My dress pants are just full like of sleet. And you know, that like kind of gray, that dried like snow stain that's on my pants. So I'm sitting there going like, oh my God, I'm about to walk in this interview. I look like a freaking slob. And if he asked me why I look this way, I can't tell him I just stopped and shoveled some old lady's driveway. Cause he'd be like, you're so full of it. You're so full of it, right? But thankfully I got in, he didn't mention it. And uh, I got the job, got hired. Go meet the, go meet the guy, discuss everything, sign all the paperwork, go home, I'm excited. And then the, their, one of the directors calls me and says, um, so I might have a problem. Um, because you don't have your full G license, we might not be able to insure you for, a, for your company car. And if we can't insure you, <clears throat> we, can't, we can't employ you. So I had to wait another three days while they figured that out. And then thankfully, they were able to make it work. And I got handed keys to a brand new car. And my first day, I'm off to Toronto. I've never driven on a highway. I've never driven to Toronto and then just threw the keys and off I went. That was a fun job. What's next? Mm. I'm engaged. We're engaged. Where no do we go watching, from here? No how one's watching anymore. This is just me talking about myself. Um, how do we yeah, go so did, from there to yeah. what you're doing today? Um, yeah, so I'm doing, I'm doing the IT stuff, but I still really wanted to run my own business. Um, that was always my, my end goal. So, um, joggers just sold to, um, just sold to sport check. 
and campus crew was still running, but the writing was on the wall that, you know, my cushy IT job was probably going to come to an end eventually. So I, I ended up buying a uh, nerds on site franchise, which was the, like, it was a huge mistake in hindsight, but it was, it, it taught me a lot about business and how not to run a business. Um, but I bought the nerds on site franchise for Brantford. Um, I bought the red beetle. I drove around in the car. I was your, your computer, your local computer nerd. Um, didn't, didn't like that <laughs> after a while. I didn't really like that. So, um, man, I don't even know how it went from, okay. Yeah, I know how it went. So while I was doing nerds on site, I launched a website called Brant now. Brant now was like Facebook before Facebook, but not as big, obviously. I'm not claiming that I made Facebook before <laughs> it happened, but it was a very local thing. And um, I had a software developer reach out to me and ask me to test like this community software. So I built this thing, Brant now, and I needed content. So I started creating content. So I started interviewing people uh, locally and, and, you know, celebrities, let's say. So I interviewed Daniel Negrano, poker player Daniel Negrano, years ago when he was just starting to get big. Um, and I interviewed a comedian, uh, Darren Frost, who I was a big fan of and saw at a bunch of comedy shows. And at the end of my interview with Darren, I said, man, I'd love to do a show in Brantford. Like, how fun would that be to have you come down to Brantford? And he says, well, I'll make you a deal. You, you do the legwork, get it going. I'll bring the comics. We split it 50-50. Let's do it. Uh, I'm like, okay, let's do it. So we did a show at the Polish Hall. We had 80 people come, which was massive to me. That was, I, I couldn't believe it. I made like a hundred bucks. I think when the time it was all done, I made like a hundred bucks. But that night I'm like, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to do. I wanted to do events. This was so much fun. I had so much fun planning it. I had so much fun, like just seeing everybody having a good time, people walking out saying it was great. They'd come again. So I just, I just dove right into that. I said, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do comedy. I'm going to do, I'm going to do comedy shows. I'm going to run events. And uh, I probably jumped into it two years <laughs> too early. Cause I just, I went full into it. That's the way I am. When I'm into something, I just go all in. So I started doing comedy shows and then it just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger and to the point where we outgrew all the local venues and, and then moved it into the Sanderson Center. So, yeah. So I know the story, but for anybody who's yeah. listening who's don't, what did that turn into? Uh, so the Brantford Comedy Festival. Um, you know, I kept doing these shows. Um, you know, we had Nikki Payne, we did Pauly Shore, Tom Green. Um Brent Butt. So I'm bringing all these people through and I'm like, I'm going to do a comedy festival. And I, you know, talked to a few people about it. And a lot of people said, don't do it. Like Brantford won't support this. You know, there was one, I don't know if you remember when Phil Hartman passed away, they launched a Brantford comedy festival. They had a really successful first year because all the old uh, SNL alum came because it was Phil Hartman. And, but then the second year, like, you know, you ask all these celebrities to come back and they're like, yeah, you know, $40,000, I'll be there, right? They're coming for Phil Hartman. Uh, so it, it, didn't, it didn't get the legs. Um, so a lot of people warning me, like, you know, 
you know, they already did one. It didn't fly. It didn't work. So I said, well, let's, let's try it. Let's do it. So we jumped right into that. Did um, our first year. I think we're going into men. I think this will be our 12th or 13th year this year since so, the comedy festival launched. Because I know the story, the comedy okay. festival. Yeah, that's great. You fill the Sanderson center. You've got a bunch of great comedians. Sort of. Yeah. But you do more than just that. Uh, talk about the rising star. Uh, Cause that's yeah. to me, such an inspirational part of what you do uh, that leads to the comedy fest. So can you tell the audience about that? Sure. So when we launched the Brantford comedy festival, I wanted to try and do something a little bit different, set ourselves apart from other festivals. Um, so I launched a thing called the rising stars competition. And what we did was we had a, a good show, like a big show, our, our gala night where we had some headliners. Our first year was um, hmm, Deborah Giovanni and John Doerr, I think were my first year headliners. So what I did was I, I rented the Brandon Community Center and I got a bunch of amateur comedians, people with a year or two under their belt who weren't quite you know, headliners, but want an opportunity to open up for headliners at, at the show at the Sanderson Center, which is an amazing venue to play and very daunting for an amateur comedian to step out on that stage. And the response I got was crazy. We had, I had like 400 comedians apply to be part of this thing. So I'm watching hundreds of hours of stand up to try and pick my, man, I think I picked like 20 comedians and just gave them five minutes each. And it was just like, <clears throat> go up, do your thing. I brought in some judges. My judges were, you know, established comedians um, to help me pick the winner and decide who should go on. So that from that very first week, uh, that very first year doing that, it, it, it actually helped grow the festival because one of the comedians in my, in my rise and star was Dr. Pio Modi, who was a local dentist here in town. Um, and he says to me, but a couple weeks after he didn't, he didn't win, but he had a great time and he called me and says, Hey man, like I'm opening my own practice here in town. I'd love to be part of what you're doing. I'd love to sponsor it. I had zero sponsors the first year, not one person. I went, I went and asked every business in town for money. Nobody invested any money because it was new and Again, we had a brand for comedy festival. It didn't fly. And there was a lot of negative, like just, yeah, I don't think it'll fly. Come and see me next year. Let's see how it does and come and see me next year. So uh, meeting Dr. Pio Modi was, was huge because he became, went on to become my title sponsor. And he was my title sponsor up until our, we, we kind of capped off that title sponsorship with the 10th anniversary, kind of went out with a bang with that. Um, so yeah, I met uh, Dr. Pio Modi try to get sponsors on board for the festival. Uh, nobody wanted to sponsor. So what I did was I only sold, this is kind of the, the dirty secret of the Brantford Comedy Festival. I had 1,100 seats to sell. I sold 300. I think I sold 300 tickets. So about two weeks out from the festival, I got about 300 tickets sold. And I'm panicking because not only am I about to lose a lot of money, but no one's going to be there. Like if 300 people in the Sanderson Center is like going to the Linden Park Mall when the seniors are walking in the morning, like it's just, it's empty, right? It just feels empty. So what I did was I went around town with a stack of tickets and I went and handed out tickets to all the businesses that I wanted to sponsor. 
And I said, you know what? The best way to see if this is for you is to come and see the show. So I went and handed like, I don't know. We ended up having like 800 people there, 800 out of the, out of a, a 13 or 1100 seats. So 800 people at the show, 80% of them are there for free. I gave them tickets. And a lot of the d- decision makers, the business owners just gave them the staff and whatever, the staff came to the show. Well, when the show was over, I stood at the lobby because I used to always stand at the lobby uh, all my shows. When people are walking out, to be like, thanks for coming. How'd you enjoy it? Get feedback. Because that's the best time to get feedback from people is right when it's fresh in their minds. And uh, I just had a steady stream of people going, man, I had a great time. I'm sponsored next year. Come and see me next year. I'm going to sponsor this thing. Let's do it. So we went from zero sponsorships in year one to 15,000 sponsorships in year two, which was huge. So, and that's, you know, and we've been really, really fortunate. People like Parkway Dentistry and Hooten's Pools and Spas to just be become like lifetime sponsors, Grand River Insurance Brokers. I mean, there's a, there's a whole bunch I can name. Um, and it's, it's like, there's no selling anymore. It's just every year they're like, are you in? We're in. Wild Rose handmade soaps. I just only have to do a sales pitch. Just like, hey, here's the dates this year. And they're like, we're in. So it's, it's been, I've been pretty uh, fortunate that way. We have a lot to cover. So we've got over, sorry, it's okay. We've got over a decade of comedy fests. Okay. But there's more than that. Uh, Let's talk (laughs) about some of your other events. So I know one of my favorites is those damn divas, a celebration of women in comedy. And I imagine that that's uh, a branch off of the comedy festival, but can you tell us about that? Yeah. So, um, how do I say this the right way? Because I, I always, I'm careful how I word this because I don't want it to come off the wrong way. Finding women in comedy who are really funny is hard. Not because women aren't funny. It's, there's less women doing stand-up. At least there was when I started Those Damn Divas. There's a lot more women now. But for every hundred male comics, there's like, back then was like 10 female comics. Um, obviously when you have a hundred comedians, not all of them are going to be good. Right. So out of a hundred male comics, you're going to find like 20 who are just killers, absolute killers. And then the rest, you know, it's a mix of pretty good to, oh, I could never put this person up in front of anybody. Um, so I, I found uh, a couple really funny female comedians and approached them to say, Hey, I wanted to show and I want to give stage time to female comedians of all of all skill level. I wanted the amateur comics who, you know, don't have a lot of experience to start the show, but then I want to end it with somebody who can just go up there and kill it. So um, yeah, that's what we did. We did the we did the show. Uh, those damn divas. I noticed there was a there was a male comedian in Toronto named Andrew Johnson who was on Much Music's video on trial. He had a show called um, Bitch Salad, Bitch Salad in Toronto, which was a, basically what I was doing. It was a female show uh, with him hosting. And Andrew um, is an openly gay comedian, very flamboyant guy, funny guy, women love him. And he just brings this energy to the show. He comes out, he's just so much fun. So I, you know, I sent him a message on, I don't even know, was it MySpace or ICQ or whatever it was back then? 
And I just said, hey, man, I love what you're doing with this show. Here's my vision for this show. Would you, would you come down and host it? And he came and he hosted the hell of that show. And he had so much fun. I had so much fun. We just decided to keep doing it. And Andrew's since moved to LA to pursue acting and comedy. He comes home for the show. He flies back to Canada for the Diva show because it's just become one of these things we've been doing now for, I think we're eight or nine years into the Diva show. So I, yeah, I love Andrew. He's so much fun. And, and we're at the point now where Andrew pretty much books the show. Um, he's got the connection with all these people, all the comedians and, and uh, he's, he's, he knows what I'm looking for. And I trust him to bring the, bring the show, bring the, the right show. So, yeah. Again, I know the story, but our audience yeah, yeah. might yeah. not. So we've got comedy fest. We've got those yep. damn divas. There's probably a dozen other things that you've dabbled in over the last couple of years. And we don't have to touch on show? every single one. A dog show. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Brandford a game Park, show. Yeah. Uh, game show. Yeah. Game shows, I think. Game shows. Yeah. But if you had to say, what's your biggest event? What is the yeah, so, one? Let's yeah. go. Yeah. So obviously what the fest is the biggest undertaking. So uh, what the Fest Music and Arts Festival. Now, there's a controversy on how, how it started. Um, controversy? My partner, yeah, so my partners... Let's do it. My partner, my, my founding partners of What the Fest are Lance Kalbeck and Mark Kalbeck. So it was me and the two Kalbeck brothers that started What the Fest. We've now brought on Phil Gillies and MJ Perry as partners as well to the, to the uh, festival. But... Lance says it was my idea. I say it was Lance's idea. So Lance and I were having lunch on the patio at Harmony Square. What was it before it was Hudson Public? Devil, uh, Devil's Advocate. Oh, before Devlin's. Piston broke. Piston broke. So we were sitting on the Piston broke patio having lunch. And Lance says, you know, I, I wish we'd have like something big in this community, like a music festival. And I said to him... I don't know, like with Hockey Fest just happening, I'm like, we, you know, it'd be, it'd be a lot of work and it'd be a huge risk. But we're both, Lance and I are both big, big music fans, big live music fans, love the live music. And so we, we started hammering out this idea. Obviously everyone in Brantford knows the Hockey Fest story, you know, like whatever happened, happened. People didn't get refunds. It was a big gong show. So we went into it knowing that we were going to have to win, uh, win people's trust, but not only the fans, dude, people don't know this. What the fest was so hard to get off the ground because agents, you would call agents and say, yeah, I'm looking to do a music festival in Brantford and they'd hang up on you because Brantford had a huge black eye because a lot of these bands were booked and then didn't get paid and the bands look foolish. Because I don't know if you remember back back when this all went down, the band's social medias were announcing that they were coming, even though everyone in town knew it was canceled. It was just a big, it was just a big thing, right? So, um, because of the brand for comedy festival, I had some connections to agents booking comedians, so I was able to use some of those relationships to get me in the door with the agents. So we ended up getting a, a meeting with Ralph James, who's like the guy in Canadian music. And we went down with a, a, substantial, a substantially large money order 
to show that we were serious. And we basically handed him this money order and said, you can hold this, uh, you know, in, um, what's the word I'm looking for? You can hold like it in, uh, yeah, like a deposit. Um, you can hold this while we work with you to build this festival. And he was pretty blunt with us. Well, you're going to pay up front for every band because what happened last time. <clears throat> and uh, and you're going to probably pay more for some of these bands than you normally would because a lot of it's going to take a lot to convince people to, to commit to a show in Brantford. So we did the first one, um, you know, at, at, a, at a substantial risk. And, uh, you know, it was definitely not a financial success by any means, but it was a uh, it was a success in the sense that we, you know, had thousands of people in the park. We started this brand and gave someone gave everyone something to look forward to every year after. And since it's continued to grow, obviously with COVID, uh, we've shelved our plans until 2022. But uh, we're we're super excited to come back with that. That's a lot of work. That's six months out of the year to get that off the ground. But a huge payoff when it when it when it happens. When you look out and see eight thousand people having a good time, <clears throat> it's uh, it's a lot of fun. Pardon me. Puts Brantford on the map too. It becomes you know Brantford is known for so many different things, and people come from all over for so many different events, you know, being tournament capital of Ontario or you sure. know, uh, coming here for, you know, Brantford Comedy Fest or uh, coming yeah. here for school with Laurie and Conestoga. Um, but what the fest has now, you know, even just in the short time become such a staple. It's an <clears> event <throat> that people come from all around. Can you talk about some of the names that you've brought to Brantford? Yeah. So we've brought, uh, you know, like Big Wreck, Trues, I Am Mother Earth, Our Lady Peace, um monster truck the beaches uss i don't man there's so many i can't even uh, collective soul collective soul was probably my favorite they were so good um we had sugar rain uncle cracker lined up for 2020 which was a lot of work to get done but we wanted to really really come out swing with a 90s show and not your typical canadian 90s we wanted to bring in some artists that um that you know had some huge success and and a, people they can sing songs that everyone in the crowd to just sing along to like uh, uncle cracker's got like eight eight songs i could play for you and you'd know every word sugar ray same thing so it'd be such a huge it would have been such a huge show the the um the fan base was definitely split when we first announced but i think when people saw what we were trying to do uh we actually sold more tickets uh, in like the three months that we, or the three weeks we were on sale than ever before. Um, so it would have been a, it would have been a really big show. It would have been, it would have been really cool. When you bring people like that to a town like Brantford, it becomes a huge thing. Um, you know, Pauly Shore, you wouldn't think Pauly Shore is a huge mega celebrity A-list. Let's be honest. He's, he's a D-lister at best, uh, in the States, but man, when we brought If you're watching this, Pauly Shore, we're sorry. Yeah, uh, sorry, not sorry. <laughs> but when, when we brought Polly Shore to Brantford at Brandling Community Center, 650 tickets like that. And Future Shop, before it was Best Buy, Future Shop had to order in Encino Man and Biodome DVDs because people were going and, and buying them off the shelf because they wanted Polly Shore to autograph them. Also, so, impact. So, 
so when you like when you bring somebody who is yeah in LA a D-lister in the states you know not huge but you bring them to say like Brantford people are like Pauly Shore's coming to Brantford like Pauly Shore's playing at Brand Lynn in Brantford like I have to go see this and and I'm not saying uh, I'm not saying Sugar Ray is a D-lister by any means I mean he's actually a very successful host on Sirius XM he has his own 90s on nine radio show um but just bringing those uh types of acts to a brantford that's what makes it huge it's like you know you tell your friends in la yeah i want to see sugar Uncle crack and they're like whatever like we can see everybody where we live in la but when you live in brantford ontario sugar ray to see sugar and uncle crack you're gonna see uncle cracker the closest you'll see him is at the casino niagara um if you can get tickets because it sells out almost right away so yeah it was it was gonna be it was gonna be fun it was gonna be fun but so recap yeah you 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 grew up in Brantford you went to school you took off you left Brantford you realized how much you missed Brantford you came back to Brantford you started doing events comedy festival those damn divas a dozen other things now one of the largest music festivals in the entire region but then you hit the nail on the head. You mentioned it. You glossed right over it, but we're going to dive right into it. 2020, sure. COVID-19, coronavirus. Things change for you. Uh, you know, events, oh, man. So what are you doing now? Yeah, so August 2019, um, became the proud owner of the uh, Rope Factory event hall here in town. Fantastic and- venue. Thank you. It's actually behind me. This is, I'm not actually there right now. Just so you know, it's a green screen. Really? You're not actually there? In case you're wondering. You didn't know that? You thought thought I was actually there? Okay. The green glow around you kind of gives it away, Jamie. Oh, is there a green glow? All right, cool. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I own the Rope Factory Vent Hall. Um, Kind of laughing, man. We took over August 2019, just booking weddings like crazy. And and as an event- Yeah, now you're a wedding venue, right? (laughs) We're, we're definitely a wedding venue from May until um, May until November. Um, but this right behind me is my sandbox. As an event planner, this is, I can do whatever I want here. I'm doing I'm doing trivia nights, game shows. We we throw a bunch of stuff at the wall, whatever sticks. We you know whatever we have fun with it. Um, but then yeah, COVID COVID actually hits, and we have I don't know seventy weddings 70 events on the books just completely all all wiped out so when covid first hit it was like you know let's let's put you know 30 days to flatten the curve right so we're just pushing people back 30 45 days and thinking that's not going to be a big deal and then a couple months in you're starting to notice like yeah this is going to be around for a long time so you know we've we've had to adapt uh move some people around um Back in May, April, May, I tried to rent out my kitchen. So behind me over here, behind those doors is a slides open and it's a full service kitchen. And uh, I put up on Facebook, GG, all these things, $500 a week, commercial kitchen rented, just looking for some income because I just keep seeing these money coming out, no money coming in. And I couldn't, I couldn't pay anybody to rent the kitchen. Um, so I just decided, you know what, let's just do our own thing. So I looked around town to see what, what we could do, what we could bring. And, you know, I, there's some great 
poutine and mac and cheese options in town, but I, I thought, you know what, let's step it up and do a gourmet, a true gourmet poutine and mac and cheese takeout. So I launched it, um, brought in a local chef, uh, built the menu. We launched it with the, with the expectation that it was going to be for 12 weeks, right? Because by 12 weeks, we're going to be out of this thing. Nightmares will be over. And this will just, you know, it might, it might not make us any, like a lot of money, but at least it'll bring people down to the rope factory. keeps it in the public's eye. Dude, this thing took off. It was crazy. Like we're going by, by three weeks in word gets out. People are lining up for the food. We're buying two bags of potatoes and I'm, I'm running out of food. Like it's, it's five 30 and I'm out of food already. So it's just become a, a whole thing of its own. And obviously we've had to keep running it longer because, um, you know, COVID's still around. But I'm super, super fortunate. I mean, it's not making a ton of money, but at the same time, we were losing a lot of money. This is a big space, 5,000 square feet. Takes, it's a lot of money to keep this going every month. But Spool at the Rope Factory is the gourmet poutine and mac cheese takeout. It's now to the point where we're not losing money. We haven't lost money since October of 2020, which for a small business in this environment right now is uh, that's a huge badge of honor in my opinion. So I'm very happy about that. So Spool, we've expanded the menu, we've expanded our hours. I've just hired a second chef because we're busier. Um, and now we're, um, I'll be announcing this on Monday. I don't know when you're when you're playing this, but Monday. we are we are playing it Monday. All right. So officially today, we have secured a new location for Spool. Um, it's literally right across from us in the alley, and it's going to be uh, it's going to be its own full time thing. And I'm super excited about that. And uh, it's going to allow us to do uh, mac and cheese takeout and still do events at the Rope Factory without uh, stepping over each other. And that's going to allow us to have uh, actually a lot of our bride and grooms that come in and book now. They know about us because of the poutine, because they come down for food and they go, what is this place? And they look inside the window and go, wow, I want to get married here. So people are coming now and they want the poutine and mac and cheese for their wedding. They want it for the late night buffet and whatever. So it's going to be a huge opportunity. Um, we're also going to be announcing that we've secured another small parcel of land in the village as well, we're going to be actually building a full, fully licensed patio as well. Um, so yeah, it's going to be it's exciting, man. It's fun. Before we move on to the theme of this week's episode, I feel cool. like we we glossed over, and I just don't want to because I think it's important that we tell the audience and anybody watching or listening about the Rope Factory. If we weren't in COVID times, what is the Rope Factory? What are you doing? Yeah, man. So the Rope Factory is Brantford's premier intimate, I say Brantford's premier intimate event hall. We got some great event halls. Uh, if, you're, if you're doing an event with 300 people, Best <clears throat> Western, um, what's the one out the highway? The uh, Hampton? Uh, Hampton, great places. Awesome. You're looking for an intimate event. You're looking for that rustic industrial feel. You cannot beat you cannot beat our place. Um, so we are, we are located in what was an old rope factory. All the brick you see behind me is all the original brick, uh, just out of the box, rustic industrial look and feel. 
So um, yeah, we're weddings, we're comedy shows, we're concerts, we're art battles, art battles. Um, we're we're <laughs> corporate. That's okay. We're corporate events. You know, we're we're team building things. We're employee appreciation. Uh, we're charity functions. We are wedding showers, baby showers, uh, funerals. I mean, not actual funerals, but like the uh, the wake, the celebration of life. Um, we we do it all. We've done it all. We do it all. Uh, right now, we're doing COVID weddings. You know, that's a thing. It's actually a thing. COVID weddings are a thing. So we've built packages where it's you know you can have up to fifty people and it's all sanitized and you know we operate within the um, within the rules at that time. So you said something there. You said we do it all, and yeah. uh, I don't know if that could be a better segue into the theme of this week's episode. So every week on the show, I invite my guests on and I, I come up with a theme, something that, you know, because I know my guests, something that will resonate with them that I think that they have plenty of experience in that anybody who's watching or listening to the show could get some really great advice and, uh, you know, things that they could learn and adapt and use in their everyday life. And for Jamie Stevens, the theme of this week's episode was trying something new. Because as long as I've known you, you have always consistently, no matter what, sometimes multiple times in a calendar year, announced something big and new uh, to this community and beyond. And, uh, you know, some things, obviously they work and they work really well. You do them for sure. over a decade and, you know, tens of thousands of people come out and be a part of it. And some of them, you know what, they just kind of fizzle off or maybe somebody else grabs the torch and runs with it. So in your own words, for our audience, why is it so important to just try something new? I, well, I think um, it's important to try something new because if you don't try it, you're always going to wonder if you should have done it or not, right? And I mean, there's a lot of things I've wanted to do I still haven't done and may never get to do because you just can't do it all, which is something I've had to learn over the years. Um, but yeah, I think for me, it's, uh, it's, it's the regret of if you have a really good idea um, and you hold on to it and you don't do it, you always wonder, I wonder if what, what, what would have happened if, you know, I would have tried that. Um, the other thing too, I think, especially with what everything going on now is you, you sort of have to, you have to adapt. You have to adapt. I mean, I've, I've been saying, you know, adapt to survive right? It's been my slogan for 2020. Now, now my slogan for 2021 as well. And it's just, um, you have to uh, adapt to literally survive. We are an event hall. We can't do events. Well, we can do some events, but very limited. Going into this gray area, we definitely can't do events. So what can we do? I have a kitchen. All right, let's try and rent it out. No one wants it. Funny enough, everybody wants the kitchen now, right? I'm getting call. I'm getting like four calls a week. People looking for kitchen space. Um, okay, we have a kitchen. What else? What, what can we do with this kitchen? Well, let's 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 do something. And dude, I'm telling you, I I have no clue how to run a restaurant. I I didn't, I didn't get hired at Kelsey's when I tried to apply way back then. I have zero experience. I have no idea. And my chef I have now, uh, Chef Darren, great guy kind of laughs and says, you know, he, he it, it almost, my, how naive I was, I think helped it become successful. Because if I knew 
then the real challenges of running a restaurant and a takeout and customer service and having people, not that we have, not that we have this happen a lot, but you can't please everybody in customer service, right? So dealing with people who don't have the experience that you're trying to give and how to navigate those waters. If I knew then, I don't think I would have done it. Like I, I think I would have been too afraid to do it because it's like, man, that's a lot of work. And most people that do food fail. A lot of restaurants start up and then they disappear. So because I didn't know what I was doing, I think actually helped me get in. And I got to the point where I had to learn how to do it because now it's happening. People are like, dude, we ran out of food. The, the second week we we're open, we ran out of food. We had people lined up outside who placed pre-orders. I didn't have food for them. I mean, that, that's like, that's just jumping in the water. You just have to learn. And, and that's how I learned, learn on the fly. And it's, it's, it's funny now because I have people who are looking to start up and they're coming to me and they're saying, Hey, how do I do this? And I'm going like, I don't know. <laughs> like I, I'm still learning how to do it. I'm only a year into this thing. I still don't really know what I'm doing. I've just been really, really lucky. Allow me to go off the wall. And uh, yeah, allow me though. So from an outsider's perspective, you're trying something new and you've got a consistent yeah. track record of being successful, you know? Um, but not everybody's Jamie Stevens. Do you have any experience in trying something and it failing? Like what if somebody puts everything they have into trying to sure. do something and then it doesn't work out? How do you get over that? How do you consistently try something new until you find something that works? Yeah, man, I've failed on a bunch of stuff. Uh, got married once. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't work out. Um, I started stuff and it didn't, it didn't fly or, you know, I launched some things. I had the brand now app. It actually was successful, but you have to make choices of, okay. The dog show. That's a perfect example. Dog show, grand delicious. Another one that we did a food and wine show. We did grand delicious food and wine show at the peak when everybody was watching the food network and everyone wanted to be a, a chef. Um, and we, we packed the civic center, tons of people, tons of restaurants and, you know, made some good money the first, first year. And then the second year, and then the third year was like much more challenging. And you did all this work and you look at the, how much money you made after and you go, is this worth it? A lot of things I've done appear to be successful, but financially they're not, they're not successful or they're not financially viable. Brantford Barks huge insurance car. You, you have a bunch of people's dogs walking around on, on leashes and like someone gets a dog bite or whatever and huge liability, huge insurance costs. Had a lot of people come through. Anyone that was there would tell you this thing was great and it was successful. Not successful. Not successful. I mean, not in terms of like financial return for the amount of time that you put into it. So you have to make some some tough decisions on when to pull the plug on things and focus your energy. And again, for me, it's not just about money, but if you're going to work that hard, you got to get, you got to live, you're going to pay your bills. Right. So I've, I've had to pull the plug in a few things. I'm trying to think if there's something I've done that just like completely fizzled out. And I, I can't think, I mean, there was always reasons why things didn't pan out. Right. Like I was able to figure out why it didn't work and then go, 
can I fix it? And if I didn't feel I could fix it, then I'd pull the plug on it. But I, I you can't said, say I've, yeah. You said something earlier in the episode about how you were a few years early on something. And I wonder yeah. if that's something that we could just kind of expand upon in the sense that the fact is, is you're the type of person and you surround yourself with other people who are willing to try new things. And it's not a matter of whether they are widely successful or as you said right. yourself, they kind of fizzle off. There's nothing that you tried that you couldn't go back to and pick up and try again. And uh, I think that that is why it's so important in my opinion to try new things because yeah, you know what? Maybe having an app uh, where all these businesses get together and you know show off their products didn't work then. But now during COVID, that's the, the big rage, right? Um, sorry, continue. No, it's, it's true, man. Like I, back when I had the Brand Now website back in the day, I was trying to sell digital advertising to mom and pop shops in Brantford. And they looked at me like I had two heads. Internet, like why would I spend money on internet advertising? I can't see it. I can't feel it. I can't touch it. Like, how do I know who's looking at it? <clears throat> and now everyone's doing digital and no one's buying print. So yeah, I feel like um, I feel like I was ahead on a couple things for sure. What I meant by not when I started too early was because I it was not financially successful. Uh, the first, I mean, yeah, it was great to do these shows and make a couple thousand dollars each show, but a couple thousand dollars a show doing six shows a year. Stop paying a mortgage. That's below poverty, right? So uh -huh. I was fortunate at the time to be in a situation where I was able to, um, you know, take those chances because uh, I had the support system in place for that, had a roof over my head. So I wasn't worried about the, you know, the next show failing. But uh, yeah, I definitely jumped in, I would say at least a year or two too early because like I said, when I jump into something, I'm, I'm fully on board. There's no time for the thing. There's no time for other stuff, right? It's all about doing this. Last thing I'll ask you on our theme. Sure. A young entrepreneur comes to you, crazy idea, wants to do it, doesn't know how, and says to you, should I? What do you tell them? Um, this has happened a lot, actually. Um, I obviously encourage people to do it because a lot, a lot of my best ideas came from people telling me I shouldn't do it. Um, I'm, I'm 90, 90, 90% of the time I encourage them to go for it. I've had some people come to me with some ideas that I feel I'm knowledgeable enough on what they're proposing to say, you might want to focus your efforts somewhere else, but I will never tell someone not to do it. I will never tell someone not to do it because at the end of the day, I think if you, if you think you can do it, um, there's people out there that are going to. I mean, how many people are in LA trying to be famous actors, right? They're being told constantly they're not going to do it, but the people obviously go through NHL players. There's guys playing over in Germany right now, hoping to land an NHL spot one day. They're playing where they can. Will they make the NHL? Probably not, but, but you can't make the NHL if you're not trying to make the NHL. You know what I'm saying? So if you're not trying, you're not going to make it. So that's, yeah, I mean, I, I, I have told people I don't think this will fly, but yep. what do I At mean? the end of the day. Not, at the end of the day, it's your decision. What's the harm in trying something new? I will, always, I will always encourage people to go for it. If they believe in it, go for it. 
So thank you for sharing that, Jamie. Uh, I really do. I believe so strongly in that. There's no harm in trying something new. You know, whatever. It doesn't work out. Who knows who you're going to meet? Who knows what impact you're going to have? Who knows who you're going to inspire? I'm part and parcel sure. where I am today because I came to you with a crazy idea and you said, just go do it. So uh, thank you. <laughs> That's right. I remember that. And I believe that was also on the patio at Piston Broke. That was absolutely on the patio at the sure. Piston Broke. Can you imagine? And look at you now. Oh, look at and me look now. At now. Look at you now. Every week, Jamie, I ask my guests because I know that you don't get to where you are without giving back to the community because those who give right. back to the community, the community gives back tenfold. It's uh, an incredible phenomenon. Give back as much as you can. And uh, I know that that's something that's so important to you. Every week I ask my guests to give a shout out to a local organization, nonprofit, charity, or something that they are involved in and passionate about. And I'm wondering who you'd like to shine the light on today. So there's so many. Um, I've always worked closely with the Brant Community Healthcare System Foundation uh, Hospital. Um, it's funny, the reason why I chill, I get approached a lot from, you know, cancer, MS, diabetes, all these really obviously amazing causes that need as much help as they can get. I, I went and worked with the hospital um, years ago, I'm probably going on 10 years now of, of doing things with the, with the Brand Community Healthcare System Foundation. And my, my thinking was all these things, cancer, diabetes, uh, heart disease, Parkinson's, all this stuff, where do they go? Where are you getting treatment? Where are you having your surgeries? Where are you going when you need emergencies? You're going to the hospital. So I felt that by supporting the hospital, in a way, I'm able to support everybody. Uh, generally, because we're all born in a hospital. Well, maybe not, maybe not all, all of us, us, but yeah, but a lot of a lot of us will will start and end in a hospital, right? Or <laughs> that just sounds really grim. But it, that was I my hear what you That was my thinking. Was the hospital foundation for me as a way to feel that I'm able to support uh, a lot of different charities. I'm also. Um, on the board for the 100 men who give a damn as well, which obviously has had to take a little bit of a break because of COVID. But that's another way for me to be able to give money to charities to make an impact and select different charities. So yeah, Brand Community Healthcare System Foundation, donate today. I've had the pleasure of working with the Brand Community Healthcare System Foundation. I know, uh, say quite, it 10 times Quite fast. the mouthful. Um, yeah. And the work that they do and the people yes. that they employ and the volunteers who volunteer their time, um, you know, the hospital for so many people is a scary place. You're not at the hospital having a fun time. And no. uh, the foundation to me, beyond sharing the stories, beyond raising money, they make the hospital a place that's welcoming. And yes. you've raised so much money for the Bryant Community Healthcare System Foundation, Jamie. And I mean, thank you we never tracked for doing it. You that. Know, it's funny, we never, we never tracked it fully. So I have no idea. Um, but you know, the one thing Carrie's told me there, it's not just the financial impact, it's also the um, awareness. So at the Brantford Comedy Fest, we always play a video where they, the hospital foundation talks about some of the initiatives they're doing or the patient stories. Um, you know, we did the Compassion Through Comedy program, which yep. was has been amazing. You know, we're, we're able to bring people who are going through traumatic health issues. We, we've literally brought people in hospice care to the Brantford Comedy Festival. There's been some, I won't get into it, there's been some amazing experiences, amazing stories from that. 
So it's not just the financial impact, it's the, it's the awareness as well and the opportunities that we've, we've been able to do. Incredible. Like you said, Brand Community Healthcare System Foundation. Yes, sir. Donate today. Donate we're at the end jamie we did it uh, we made it i think it's been about an hour and a half but we finally got here i didn't think i could talk about myself for an hour hour and a half but you're a pretty go. incredible guy jamie day. that's why uh, i want you I on the show that. so for anybody in my audience who's watching who's listening uh who made it this far if they want to follow <laughs> along on the story wake up <laughs> wake up this is the plug if they want to be a part of the jamie stevens experience you should uh, patent that, by the way. Where do they go? How do they stay in touch with you? Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, oh, LinkedIn, man. MySpace. You know, I just face. I, I'm, I'm definitely more of a Facebook guy than anything else. So Yeah, verified Facebook account, too. How'd you pull that off? <laughs> the only one in Brantford, apparently. Yeah, only one. Only one. Um, yeah, so uh, Facebook, I put everything out on Facebook. So uh, anything I'm doing is it gets shared on Facebook for sure. So you can search for Jamie Stevens um wrote factory event hall like that page and we share a lot of everything from that page as well Brantford comedy festival has a page as does what the fest music and arts festival so i'm there amazing jamie stevens you're seriously an inspiration i've told you that a hundred times but you do so much great stuff for this community and for the people who get the chance to work with you and i'm so thankful you took time out of your day to come onto my show and uh this is real cool, man. We've known each other for well over a decade and uh, I love working with you, man. Thanks, man. It's been fun to watch you and your hair grow. <laughs> so we have a great group of guests lined up for future episodes. You've been watching Off the Wall. I'm your host, Joshua Wall, and we'll see you next week.